0: We are in the fourth of our DNA markers, uh, giving our best to the body. At DNA, this is who we are as a church, This is, um, and, and who, uh, what marks us as the people of God. It's not that we've got a fancy building, it's not that we sing these particular songs, it's not the way we preach, it's that we are becoming these people. People who are pursuing God and loving the family and growing in generosity and giving our best to the body and living sharing the gospel. And we've seen so far through this series that disciples are people who pray all the time and include others and look to bless others. And today we're looking at disciples of people who serve joyfully. Um, now, before I start the actual... Uh, we're going to be in Romans 12, but I want you to hear Warren's story. So I've asked him, so you don't have to preach, because he can preach. He does a lot of this out at Levitish. He does a great job. But, um, but we're really keen to hear um, what Warren has discovered in his life about giving your best to the body. Where's Warren? Yeah, there he is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Danny. I love being part of this church, this body of Christ. I feel very loved and supported, and I'm getting the spiritual food that I need to grow, and many of you have contributed to that in so many ways. In turn, I love being able to contribute to the life of CCW uh, and its people, although sometimes I find that very challenging, and today is one of those days. I have to confess that I've not always felt this way. There was a time in the past when I was adamant that I would never return to church, let alone give my best to the body. To explain this, I need to go back to the beginning. I grew up in a Christian family. My father loved the Lord, but he sometimes got lost in legalism, in you know, the sort of rules that we make for being a Christian. As kids, we couldn't understand why it was okay for Dad to stroll, around, take a stroll around the block on Sunday, but not okay for us kids to go to the beach Dad was a stern disciplinarian, and I grew up with the idea that God was a, I guess, a, a stern and punishing figure. Dad was often absent as we grew up. He was uh, working late or at prayer meetings or deacons' meetings and mission boards. Dad sometimes got emotional when he talked about the Lord's love, but struggled at times to show that love. To be fair to Dad, Later in life, he became a loving, non-judgmental person, a beautiful Christian who witnessed to everyone. I mean everyone. And he and I had a very loving relationship in the years before he died. I made a decision for Christ in my mid-teens at a YFC rally in Assembly Hall in the city. Now, that might bring back memories for some of you, the older ones amongst us when YFC was in Assembly Hall. Um, And I was baptised a few months later. I was involved in church youth activities and taught Sunday school and preached a couple of times. In my mid-twenties, I drifted away from church and God. I think I was reacting, in a way, to the legalistic faith, the view of faith that came from my father and other Christians in our church. When I started work, though, I desperately wanted to belong. I'd grown up with the idea that we were different, that... The world was a sinful and dangerous place. Now, for an introverted, very shy person like me, that led to a very lonely existence at school and at university. At work, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be included, and I felt that my Christian faith wouldn't allow that. Now, some of you I know will take issue and rightly with me about that point, and you'll point to the example of Jesus. But for me, that's how I saw the world at that time. And if I'm honest also... There was simply a desire to run my life my way rather than be subject to God. Now I have to fast forward about 20 years and I found myself in a, a very, very dark place. Um, I'd achieved much of what I wanted to achieve at work. We had a lovely home. We were comfortably, comfortable financially. We had lived and worked overseas. I had a loving wife and two beautiful children although my relationships in my family had been damaged by my actions. But there was an aching need in my life. I was asking myself, is this all there is? I was thinking there must be more than this. I was starting to suffer from depression at this time, although it was some time before I recognised what it was. Um, Depression and anxiety were not in the public discourse the way they are today. I guess in one way I was simply searching for the meaning of life. I love nature and I spent a lot of time, or quite a bit of time, in the bush bird watching and camping and this love of nature made me very convinced that there was a God and that he must be an amazing person indeed. Um, I had resisted for a long time going back to my roots but one night I opened the Bible and began tentatively reading the Gospel of Matthew. I'd always been intrigued by Jesus. He rightly said, if you want to see God, just look at me. And at that time, I'm sure God was leading me to do just that. I didn't read much else for a long, long time. I simply read the Gospel of Matthew over and over again. I was just trying to see Jesus. I'd always believed that he was an amazing person, but I wanted again to see if he was more than that and whether, whether I could find him or could find answers to my questions in the gospel story I'd grown up with. You know, I was drawn again and again to Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Um, This passage just resonated with me, with what I was feeling, and I desperately needed rest for my soul. You know, I was drawn by love. I was drawn by Jesus' love for broken people like me. For sinners, as the Pharisees liked to label them, I had a huge need for forgiveness. But what I encountered first was love. I often didn't sleep well at night and I would get up in the middle of the night and sometimes sit outside, even on freezing cold nights. I felt hopeless and despairing at these times, but Jesus met me there and touched me with his love and forgiveness. I'm also so grateful to Lois for her love and support, her her forgiveness and her prayer through this time. At some point I crossed the line and realised that I was once more a believer, a child of God funny thing is I can't tell you the time or place, but I have an absolute assurance that this is so. Unfortunately then for me, church loomed on the horizon again and I freaked out a bit. My experience of Jesus was so real that I didn't want to get into the the sort of theological debates, the um, jargon and the customs and habits of church. I know that sounds, or I know that is harsh and judgmental, but it was how I perceived it at that time. I had little idea of what God had in mind for me, and I had a lot to learn. Lois had been faithful to God all this time and attended church and taken the kids to Sunday school. Her closest friend, her cousin Anne, um, needed a lift to Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship one day. It's a big Pentecostal church in Mount Evelyn where 2,000 people worshipped in a huge mud brick auditorium. Lois went there for a while and then she talked to me a lot about Alan Meyer, the senior pastor there. I don't remember this next bit, but Lois said that one day as she was getting ready to go to church, I said to her, I think I'll come with you today. She says she didn't say a word for fear I'd change my mind. I just loved Alan's blend of scripture and humour and understanding of human behaviour. The rest of the service was something else. uh, How do I put this? It variously amazed me, puzzled me, and at times alarmed me. But Alan had a profound impact on me and my walk with God. You know, another reason I liked Mount Evelyn was that I could walk in and out of there on a Sunday and not a soul would speak to me. 2,000 people. I wanted to be anonymous. So needless to say, I wasn't giving my best to anybody at Mount Evelyn. We then moved my mouth is dry. We then moved to Hawthorne to be nearer work and we attended Auburn Baptist Church, where twenty to twenty-five people met each Sunday in a beautiful old church. The pastor Keith Pickett was a gentle, humble and deeply thoughtful man, influenced by Quaker teaching, and he taught me a lot, including how to be still and wait for God. At Auburn, there were a few international students from Swinburne University where I worked, a Malaysian family, an Argentinian family, an elderly Romanian couple who spoke limited English, Joe and David, who rang the church single-handedly, and Doris Wilkin, the organist, who was in her late 80s and losing her sight. Do you know that Doris and her husband started Moe Baptist many, many years ago? I love sitting and talking with her after the service. She died several years ago. Thank you. Mandy did offer me a bottle of water before I came up here, but I thought I'd be okay. I mention all these people because it was a huge contrast from Mount Evelyn and clearly I couldn't be anonymous at Auburn. However, these people seemed to accept me and love me totally, even though I avoided taking on any formal roles. I believe now that they were a part of God's plan for me. I didn't didn't give my best to the body in any formal role, but I was committed to these people. We came to Warrigal about 14 years ago when I retired. I'd been in a busy job, and when I chose to leave, I was a bit burnt out and struggling with depression. I wanted to work with my hands. I loved renovating, so we bought an old house in Warrigal. And I spent the next two years renovating it. We attended CCW, but I took no active part in church here, although people still made me feel very welcome. A contrast to Mount Evelyn. After a couple of years, I felt a very clear insistence from God (coughs) saying that it was time to give back. I'd had the luxury of two years following my passion, my renovating passion, but now it was time to give to others. I had no idea what that might mean, although I did investigate volunteering in the community. I remember talking to Alan Bailey about his volunteering roles. A week or two later, Helen Snape asked me if I would be willing to assist the Willow Grove Boys Farm in researching grants and writing submissions so they could undertake a building program. My reaction to God was, wow, that was quick. I did this and we got funding and I also helped with the building and on various maintenance and repairs over the years. And I also worked with Habitat for Humanity in Warrigal and Druin. But up to this time I had studiously avoided any public speaking roles. But again one day I felt an absolutely clear word from God saying, I want you to share your faith. I want you to acknowledge me. It was only a week or so later that Bev Brown asked me if I would take the devotion for a Toffs, the seniors, end-of-year barbecue. Again, my reaction was, Lord, not so quick. I need time to get my head around this. I felt extremely nervous as the date approached. This may seem silly to those of you who, I don't know, who relish upfront roles, but I was nervous. I have to say here that the seniors are not to blame for my nerves. They are, in fact, a very supportive and loving group. It's just that this had been such an intense an unexpected journey, and I'd never shared in this way before. With hindsight, the seniors were, I think, the perfect place to begin talking publicly about my faith. On the night I told my story a bit like I am today, I shared what Jesus meant, but I also talked about the darkness in my journey, including depression, something I had talked with very, very few people outside of my immediate family. I remember Frank Brown prayed beautifully afterwards, and I received a loving affirmation from many of the seniors that night, and this was a turning point for me. I have to say, too, Labateuse Church has been a very important part of my journey. Phil and Liz Giles, uh, Pete and Wendy Ronalds, Ken and Katrina Lyon started the church a couple of years after the fires of 10 years ago. I helped on the fencing team for a year or two and went along to the church, and I actually gave my testimony at a Christmas service only a week or two after I'd spoken to the seniors. And later, Phil asked me to chair... A service and to preach. Now, I love the people in the Labertouche Church and I love serving there. Lois and I have been involved in the leadership there, firstly with the original team and at the moment with Ken and Katrina and Jan Hutton. As far as giving my best to the body, I feel I still have a lot to learn. Labertouche is an informal, uh, very loving and affirming place. It's a safe place to learn. I've certainly been challenged there, but God has provided what I needed and I've been blessed. You now I felt the same reluctance. and Some of you are going to be thinking, I felt the same reluctance about life groups and some of you are going to be thinking, does this guy never learn? But, um, but Norman Sue took us in and uh, Norman Sue Dean took us in and under their gentle leadership, I learned how we can grow and, and serve each other in a life group. In the life groups we're in now at CCW and the Labertooth life group, I've experienced God's love in caring and action through people in a beautiful way. We learn and are encouraged and inspired by giving our best to each other in these groups. Just reflecting on the past, I can see that at times I've been slow or reluctant to follow God's leading, to obey and to trust him for the next step. I regret this, but we can't change the past, and the past certainly does have a strong influence on our present. My faith today is very different from what it was earlier. Less based on fear and rules, more grounded in love and relationship with him. Less focused on church organisation or habits or customs, but more in loving and serving each other. The true church, all of this imperfectly, certainly, but still growing together. I'm grateful and humbled by God's goodness, by his patience and his wisdom. I can see his hand in... I guess so many of the encounters and relationships with people over the years, people he's brought into my life. Many of you have been a part of that and I'm thankful for your willingness to give your best to the body. I'm also so grateful to my family, for Lois and Mandy and Pete and Luke, Jelts and Ben, um, for their love, their support and their prayers over the years. I'm a very fortunate man. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Warren. Okay, Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And most of us know that. Um, You've heard that before. Maybe not in that translation. That's New Living, but you will have heard this. Um, Now, this is how Paul applies it directly to the church. We read on. Because of the privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, we're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is so... um If you can't feel the 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 um, the 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 way this clashes into our Western culture, then you're not listening. We are so individualistic in our culture. It's me and and my issues and my friends and my time and and my stuff and my you know we are we are we are taught to be we are conditioned to be we are um, forced to be really by our culture individualistic. So, if we don't have Kids Church volunteers, whose problem is that? Most of us think, not my problem. Honestly, if we haven't got enough data operators, that's not not my problem. Um, Paul's saying, yes it is. (laughs) Because you're not not just you, you're us. Let your mind be renewed by changing the way you think. We're many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Um, corporate identity is a strange concept for us in the West. Um, it 's a biblical truth. The people of God, we are one body, and we belong. Uh, we belong to each other. Uh, and it 's not just what happens here on a Sunday. Um, it's, uh, it's all of the, the, it's the life groups and the work and this fire relief thing. Whose problem is that? It's all of our problem um, and all of our opportunity. It doesn't mean we all have to do it, but we're called, all of us, to understand that that is us and when one of us wins, we all win and when one of us hurts, we all hurt because we all belong. To each other. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that God's Spirit lives, and then is this word in you, among you, between you, across you? God's Spirit is in the connections that you have uh, with each other. Um, and uh, this in Hebrews 13. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Yeah. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Um, that's even in a context of leadership. That is, it's not It's not like blindly you know, like follow along with everything your leader says and don't test anything because that's contrary to Scripture too, but... The, your attitude towards leadership is: I want to make this, as in as much as I can, I want to make this harmonious and I want to make it flow. And I, and for my own good, for my own benefit, um, I want to be. I want to bring joy to my leaders and not sorrow, for my own benefit. Uh, it was like we were saying last week, um, when we when we when we die to ourselves, when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, um, that is. For our satisfaction in him. And God is most glorified when we find that kind of satisfaction in him. It's the same thing in this situation. Now, let's get back to Romans 12. Uh, Verse 6. In his grace, God's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I've jumped around here, sorry, Troy. Now Peter says the same thing. Um, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. So, different lists, lists of gifts. Through the New Testament, there's all these gifts listed and different lists that way, and they're hardly ever the same gifts listed. The point is, um, the gifts aren't at issue here. The heart, the desire, is at issue. What, what is my heart? You know, like, I'm, I'm wide a certain way. I'm unique. God has given me things that I'm able to give. What is my intent with that? What is my desire in that? This is what our, the New Testament writers are pointing us to. Whatever you're good at, whatever you can give, whatever, whatever availability you have, whatever money you have, whatever time you have, whatever strength you have, like use it to serve others for your good. Because disciples serve joyfully. It's the heart that, that we're after because it models Christ. I'm jumping back to slide 11, Troy. Growing in every way, this is um, Ephesians. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who's the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing, and full of love. And in Philippians, also has this link between uh, this serving joyfully and like Christ where Paul says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ did. Jesus served, so we serve. And when we serve, we show Jesus. So it's obvious to people that Jesus is amongst us when we serve joyfully, when we love each other as he has loved us. Um, I've shared this story before, which is why I Thomas you... Uh, Many years ago now, I was ministering in another church and we had a a group that was a post-Alpha group. So people who came into Alpha, came to Christ or were not yet in faith, they went to this group. And this group had called themselves Lighthouse because I let them name themselves. So don't blame me for the name. Anyway, so that was their their group and and there was about probably 20 of us in that group. And in that group, there was this lady, um, Julie, you don't know, so it doesn't matter. This lady Julie, who was just, I don't know, some people just, she's just inclined to be negative. Everything's bad, everything's hard. It was just that kind of weigh you down person, Christian, but just in that you feel like, oh, can you smile just once? That was, uh, not, I'm not saying it's a holy thought, that's just real, what I was thinking at the time. Anyway. Um, she, for some reason, had registered herself with the hospital as an as a extra pastoral care helper person, um, and they'd interviewed her, and the hospital had gone, we'll, we'll call you. But she got a call because this lady in hospital, who had, had emphysema and shocking lungs, was going home to die. She, was, she wanted to go home. She was uh, palliated, and she didn't have any family who would go with her, because her kids were like, we don't like our mum. And so Julie said, no, I'll go and sit with her. So Julie goes just to do the death watch, if you like, visit with this lady at home Um, and prays with her. Can I pray for you? Yeah. So she prays for her and she goes back the next day and sits with her again and prays with her and goes back again, sits with her and prays with her. Come back to Lighthouse the next week and we say, how'd you go with Margaret? Um julie and she goes well she's still alive Like, oh wow okay so let's all start praying for margaret so we all start praying for margaret and um and then so julie goes back there and she's praying and praying and then one week julie turns up with margaret (laughs) this is margaret and margaret's like i'm feeling a little bit better pray for me because if i get to this sort of lung function they'll give me a lung transplant um so i've got a hope so we're all leaning in now, Margaret's coming, she's like this, you know, in the group. Um, my family are horrible and you know, like just, um, and I thought, gee, no wonder your kids don't want to. She was, like, she was not a nice person um, in terms of the way she related to others because she was in a, had been through a lot of pain herself, you know, hurting people, hurt people. But this was Margaret. But anyway, now she's in this group. And you got to, this group is eclectic. Like there's people who've been Christians for a long time, but there's some pretty raw people around the group. So Margaret's in this group, and she gets better enough to get a lung transplant. And then she gets a lung transplant, and then she lived for oh, another three, four years or so. Um, couldn't she? Couldn't she? She reconnected with one of her kids, and we were praying for her and her family. Her daughter wouldn't, her son barely. But there'd been a lot of she caused a lot of pain. In prior to that. Anyway, so Margaret comes to Christ. She's part of that group. Um, eventually she died. I was doing her funeral and um, I'm in this uh, room I'm doing a funeral and on one side of the church is a family, which is her son and her two daughters. And on the other side of the church, there is 50 people connected to the lighthouse community. And the kids walked in and were just absolutely gobsmacked. And then one after the other, the lighthouse people are getting up saying, we knew Margaret and she was this and she was beautiful and she came and helped here and she did that thing and she was so good at listening and, and the kids are just like, like... Her son was just bawling his eyes out. He came up to us afterwards and he said, I had no idea. Mum was trying to connect with us and we just wouldn't. We just wouldn't. I had no idea. And I don't know what became of him, but he... Because he was, we were all of us saying, you know what, it's not us, it's who? It's Jesus. Jesus said, this is a new commandment I'll give to you, that you love each other. And this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, because of the way you love each other. Because when we love like Jesus loves, he is glorified and we are satisfied. This is why disciples serve joyfully, because we want to be like Christ, and we want to point the way to him. Now, sometimes you do what I do. You hear a story like that one, Margaret's story. And you say, see, that's the, what's, what's wrong with the church. <laughs> we don't... We don't do that. What's wrong with us? And see, my church is not. I wish I was in a church like that. Um, we do this all the time, right? Everywhere you go, that the little prism group that um, Kerry runs down at YFC on a Tuesday night, there is seriously no judgment in that group. It still spins me out because judgment's everywhere in the way we kind of assess each other and reserve the right to, you know, ass- assess the validity of someone else's motives or choices or there's no judgment in that room and I think oh why can't our whole church be like that Um, that'd be awesome when I see like Esther Bowie turned up today she's running kids church at the moment she's in Beauty and the Beast musical and um and they have been my my family's involved in that they've been flat out and she had to get her hair in curlers today and she hasn't got time to do it but she knew no one else was was going to be able to help with kids church so she's here I go go Esther and I think why can't we all be like that? Um, you know, Rob's planning this whole kind of, this is his baby, this, it's beautiful, what we're doing out at this fire relief thing, just using his strength and his initiative. And, and you go, mate, and I think, oh, why can't more of us be... You know, we can all do that. It's easy to point out to point an example of love like that and go, yeah, well, our church doesn't do that. Why don't it wasn't our church do that. It's easy to use good stories as ammunition, or, you know, that idealistic kind of idea you have of this is what the Church of Jesus Christ should be, and if if you guys don't meet that, then I'm not buying into this place. It's easy to do that, but that is not the call of Scripture. The call of Scripture is to be someone who serves joyfully, because you are the answer. The church is not perfect. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. I've only learned in the last few years to love the family the way God wants me to. And I'm only just, I'm not even there yet, you know. We're all learning. But we need everyone in. We need everyone serving joyfully. We need to learn from each other while we're serving joyfully. It's easy to be a critic But there's no life there. And we want you to know Jesus. And we want to help each other know Jesus. Which is why we're encouraging each other to serve joyfully. Paul goes on in verse 9 of Romans. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Uh, disciples serve joyfully. Um, I, because I do it because I work in the church. Every now and again, there is a. I go to another church service, or I'm sitting here and I've got no duty at all that day. You know that feeling when you go? I just turn up. I just get to turn up. It's awesome, isn't it? Some of you are like, yeah, it's every week. <laughs> um, but it's kind of not awesome. Like. Because there's not, like, stuff's happening all around to make this thing to make this thing function. People are doing music and and serving coffee and helping kids and um, distributing communion and all sorts of things that happen. Manning a computer or or a sound desk. So it's kind of it's we we can't all do something while we're here, but we all should want to if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. We all should be thinking, how can I help? As we cluster anywhere, this service, in your, in your teams, in your life group, like, I just I want to serve my brothers and sisters. I want to serve. I want to serve joyfully. I want to, I want to be a platform for other people. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. This is what the heart of God does amongst his people, and this is what shines uh, as people look on or participate in, Um, most people belong to that kind of environment and they see Jesus by the way we treat each other because disciples serve joyfully verse 12 rejoice in our confident hope be patient in trouble keep on praying when God's people are in need be ready to help them always be eager to practice hospitality bless those who persecute you don't curse them pray that God will bless them be happy with those who are happy weep with those who weep live in harmony with each other don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. I think that one's just for me. <laughs> just, if, you, if you just read through Romans 12 just a few times and get a feel for what kind of community is Paul describing here? What kind of people is being pictured here? What's happening in the hearts of these people? What's happening in the minds of these people? What kind of activities is going on amongst these people? And then you realize that Paul's saying, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Let God change the way you think. So you'll be able to know what God's will is, which is good for you and pleasing for you and perfect for you. And then he says, here's what it looks like. This description of selfless giving community where we belong to each other. I am absolutely certain that this is the best thing for me to give myself to my brothers and sisters. And I want you to grow more and more and more and more certain that this is the best thing for you. The best thing. And if you're just on the edge of that, like Warren described, and you think, well, I've been hurt by churches, they take advantage of you, you know, they burn you, they, they, just, they just suck everything out of you. Um, and so I'm a little careful. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not wanting to push you into anything. I'm wanting to invite you again to step towards the heart of God again. And let him shift you so that you want to serve joyfully. Because that is the best thing for us disciples and people who pray all the time, who include others, who look to bless others, who serve joyfully. And next week, who act in faith. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word And just for the the, um, mountain of, of exhortation and encouragement we have through the New Testament to understand our corporate identity, to understand the call to belong to each other, to understand the joy for us as we give ourselves to each other in love. And Father, I pray that you help us to trust you in this. And I pray that you help us to provide environments that make it easier for each other. Engage that way. I pray that you would bring blessing and love and hope to our life groups and to our ministry teams and to our Sunday environment, to other service environments um, as well. Father, help us to hear you and help us to want you and help us to um, provide inclusion and help for people on the edges so that we can all discover this joy of serving joyfully in your name. Amen.